Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, rugby fans, and welcome to episode 54 of the DNVR Rugby Podcast. My name is Colton Strickler. I'm your host, as always. We'll go ahead and jump into the show the same way we do every week, by the starting with the breakdown. You know, so the breakdown is where we talk about what's going on, North American rugby, American rugby, world rugby. Um, if it's newsworthy, we, we throw it in the breakdown. So this week, we'll start with the MLR like we always do. Fortunately, there's not a whole lot to touch on the MLR front this week, but a couple points I did want to include into this week's breakdown. So we'll start um, talking about Cam Kilgore, who was the GM of Kanaloa, Hawaii, announced that he has stepped down from his position as a general manager on social media this week. Uh, so here I'll go ahead and read what he wrote. So happy to announce I have left Kanaloa Rugby LTD, and I'm looking forward to my next journey. Thanks for the support. Give a little shaka bra emoji through his email in there as well. So interesting statement. Not only does he announce that he's leaving, he is happy to announce that he's leaving. So we've seen some stuff with, with Canelo these last few weeks. I know we've talked about on the show them not making it into MLR. Uh, there was something a couple weeks ago about, you know, them trying to get into Super Rugby as the Pacifica team. Um, I believe that was required reading. So Make sure you go back and check that out if you haven't. So there's been a lot of, you know, interesting news coming out about Canaloa, so it's not too surprising to see um, Cam announce that he's leaving just based on, you know, there's they, Canaloa really doesn't have a home right now. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens to Canaloa. We'll obviously keep an eye on, on all that, and we'll keep an eye on what happens to Cam as well because I would imagine that he is working in rugby somewhere. So best of luck to Cam on his new ventures. Uh, that's kind of the first little bit of news we wanted to talk about in the breakdown. Second piece of news I wanted to touch on is Pathway 404. That's Rugby uh, ATL's Southeast Regional Development Team. Last week on Saturday, they held a silver and black match. It's an inter-squad uh, match uh, down in Georgia. They live-streamed it on Rugby ATL's Facebook page. Uh, and So they just announced earlier this week on October 6th. So what is that, Tuesday, Wednesday? Uh, yeah, on Tuesday, they announced that there will be a rematch, so they'll be Another scrimmage this weekend. I'll go ahead and read you their uh, Facebook post. So rematch, silver and black, rematch, team silver and black. Go head-to-head once again this Saturday under the lights. Be there to witness the fight for in-house bragging rights amongst the men of the 404. So that will take place at Life University Lupo Family Field on Saturday, October 10th. Kickoff is at 7 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Mountain Time for the stream. Uh, Tickets are $5 at the gates. Uh, you can stream it on Rugby ATL's Facebook page. So if you're looking for some rugby to watch, some American rugby to watch, make sure you go ahead and check that out on Rugby ATL's website because there's really not been much rugby going on in the United States as we have talked about over and over and over again every week on the show. So if you're looking for some American rugby to watch, that's a place to do it. And that kind of wraps up the MLR portion of this week's breakdown. So we'll go ahead and jump into the Premiership Rugby update, second part of the breakdown. So I wanted to make sure we take a second to talk about the Premiership. I know I've been doing my best to provide everybody updates on the fixtures that have kind of been taking place since they got their restart rolling a few weeks ago. Um, and what's kind of going on right now is pretty interesting because it's very similar to what the NFL is going, on, or going through here in the States. So if you, if you haven't seen all the stuff going on in the Premiership, um, it's not great for one particular team, kind of like how the NFL is not going great for the Tennessee Titans, but... So give you a little background. Heading into last week of the season, which was last Sunday, Sale Sharks were supposed to face Worcester Sunday morning for shot in the semifinals. Sale was one of those five teams right in the mix. I believe they were in second place in the table when all this stuff happened. Um, but there was five teams vying for four spots in the semifinal. Sale was one of those teams. 
Uh, getting ready to play, turns out they had 16 players and three members of the staff test positive for COVID um, before last Sunday's match. So they tried to reschedule the match for Tuesday, which if, you, you know, if you've been paying attention to NFL, it's kind of what they've been trying to do with the Tennessee Titans. Um, they did end up doing that with the New England Patriots when Cam Newton, you know, they got the game scheduled for Sunday uh, as they as they learn later in the week that, that Cam Newton tests positive for COVID. Every single person on the Titans, it seems like, tests positive for COVID. Try to reschedule the game to be played on a Monday or Tuesday. The Premiership's case, they did reschedule the game to be played on Tuesday, so Sale was going to play Worcester. You know, Sale, it's an important match. They're trying to get in the semifinal. So it turns out kind of like the Tennessee Titans. Uh, over the course of those next few days, Sale had, uh, let me see, six more members of the team. Yeah, six more players and two more members of the staff test positive for COVID, so they get up to 27 positive tests. They're forced to forfeit that match, um, so they don't make it into the semifinal. They get bumped down. Uh, it's very similar, like I keep saying. It's it's very similar to what the NFL is going on to right now, um, you know, there's talks of Tennessee having to forfeit the match because it turns out they broke protocol. They've got their up around. I think they're past 27 um, positive COVID tests. Maybe they're at 21. I'm not sure. They've got a lot of COVID tests. So it's it's interesting to see what's happening. Uh, it would be interesting to see what the NFL does. It seems like the more you read about it, Tennessee Titans are going to end up being punished by forfeiting some football games because they did not take the uh, protocol seriously. It sounds like they're practicing on their own. And that's what happened to Sale. I know it's kind of different because Sale, this is the last week of the season, bumping up right against the playoffs. They're trying to get the final done um, by October 24th, I believe the date is. So, uh, And then the NFL, of course, the Tennessee runs into these issues at the back half of the first quarter of their season, moving into the second quarter. But it is messing everything up. The NFL didn't build in any leeway, any extra weeks to, to bail themselves out of the situations when they did arise. So... Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I wouldn't be surprised if, if they go by the way of the premiership and they start, you know, punishing the Titans by making them forfeit matches. But that's what's kind of going on with sales. So as a result, we've got two semifinal matches in the premiership this week. First one will be Wasps versus Bristol. That match will take place on Saturday, October 10th at 6.30 a.m. And then we've got Exeter versus Bath on Saturday, October 10th at 9.30 a.m. So you're looking for something to do early on Saturday morning, uh, fire up NBC Sports Gold, watch those two matches before you get into the college football games of the day. Uh, should be good matches. Looking forward to watching those. And, again, all those matches will be streamed on NBC Sports Gold. Uh, that kind of wraps up the Premiership Rugby update, so we'll keep an eye on that. Um, and, of course, see how, how similar it ends up being to what the NFL is going through right now. So with that, we'll go ahead and jump into the Guinness Pro 14 portion of the, uh, the breakdown. I dropped the ball last week, forgot to tell everybody that round one uh, began last weekend, so let's jump right on into round two on Friday, October 9th. So hopefully you hear this episode early enough on Friday, uh, you can catch this match. But on Friday, October 9th at 1.15 p.m., we've got Dragons versus Zebra. Uh, on Saturday, October 10th, we've got o uh, Ospreys versus Ulster at 10.15 a.m., um, we got Benetton versus Leinster at 10.15 a.m. We've got Mustin, Munster versus Edinburgh uh, at uh, 12.35 p.m. And then we've got Cardiff Blues versus Canuck at 12.35 p.m. as well on Saturday. All those that are in Mountain Time, of course. And then on Sunday, October 11th, we've got Glasgow Warriors versus Scarlets. That's at 10.15 a.m., so 45 minutes before football kicks off. Make sure you 
squeeze that match in, then then you know have it rolling on your computer while while you're watching the football games on your TV. Um, yeah, make sure you check that out right before football starts on Sunday. Uh, so all those matches will be streamed on ESPN Plus. So make sure you go check those out. A lot of rugby to watch this weekend. And then, of course, to top it all off, we'll go in the last part of the breakdown. We've got the Bledisloe Cup, uh, part one, New Zealand versus Australia. I think that match is supposed to kick off at 9 p.m. on Saturday night, Mountain Time, of course. And I think that match will be on ESPN Plus as well. It's not on their schedule as of right now, but as we've seen, you know, this whole summer, um, back into the spring, ESPN Plus waits until the last possible second to update their schedule. Um, but I, I was digging through Reddit. I was looking in the corners of the internet, and I think that it should be on ESPN Plus. It sounds like that's where it's been in the past. So just make sure you're checking that out. If you're looking for some more rugby to watch, uh, ESPN Plus NBC Sports Gold will be your place to live this weekend. As you know, weather gets cooler. I think I've heard rumors it's supposed to snow on Sunday. doesn't say that on my iPhone weather app, but if it's a little chilly, you know, post up. Watch some rugby. Watch some football. It should be a good weekend. Uh, that sounds like a good fall weekend to me. So with that, kind of wraps up our breakdown for the week. Uh, we'll go ahead and jump into the interview portion of the show. So very special guest on this week's show, uh, David Hodges, USA Rugby Hall of Famer, class of 2017. He's got a... a unmatched rugby career he's a legend of the game certainly a legend of american rugby uh, another guy that kind of in this light that glendale starting this you know rugby town crossover academy luke gross has been generous enough to put me into contact with some of the people that he played with he helped me get in touch with um paul emmerich on last week's episode we've got david hodges on this week's episode had a wonderful conversation with david he's a very interesting person and he's just got a murderer's row of a rugby's resume. So I'll go ahead and read you through some of these accolades before we jump into the conversation. So, I mean, just his rugby career alone, 54 caps for the Eagles between 1996 and 2004, 27-time captain of the Eagles between 2000-2003, uh, played professionally in Wales. I cannot say the club that he played for. So uh, I'll let – we get into it in the episode. He, he can talk about it. But uh, Briggins, Scarlets. 2009 USA Rugby Union Player of the Decade by Rugby Magazine, 2001-2002 uh, Scarlet's Player of the Year, 1995 through 1997, member of the 1996 uh, National Championship Team at Ombach, two-time collegiate All-American rugby player. Um, and then, you know, one of the big reasons we have David on the show is to, of course, learn about his rugby career, but really focus on this crossover aspect of things in light of Glendale's Crossover Academy. So, trying to find, you know, very interesting people that have, have been successful in crossing over from a, an American sport over into rugby. So his football career, played in Southern California. So if you know, that's one of the hotbeds of football here in America. Uh, he was a 1989 Kodak All-American, 1989 MVP of the All-Southern California Intercollegiate Athletic Conference. Uh, 19, from 1986 to 1989, All-Southern California Intercollegiate Athletic Conference team. So he's a monster, great athlete, uh, really good guy, really nice guy. Really enjoyed talking to him. So with that introduction, go ahead and kick it into my conversation with USA Rugby Hall of Famer, David Hodges. All right, now welcome on to the show, USA Rugby Hall of Famer, recent men's 15s general manager, David Hodges. David, how are you doing? Good, good to be on the show, Colton. Awesome, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate your time. I'm really looking forward to talking to you. So uh, with that, we'll jump into the first question. It's the same question we ask everybody who joins us on the show is, David, can you just tell us a little bit about where you're from? Uh, 
was born and raised in uh, Long Beach, California. Nice. I spent my whole whole life there until going to college. Nice. Uh, what um, what are some of the sports that you played when you were growing up? Well, um, we certainly played uh, pretty much all of our traditional American sports. So uh, I played football uh, and soccer right through high school. Um, and then also dabbled in baseball and basketball. Oh, nice. As well. So those yeah. were it was kind of the traditional American sports experience as a as a young person very nice awesome so the next question i want to ask you david is how and when did you start playing rugby i know uh you were you're a good college football player i I was just wondering if you could explain when you picked up rugby and and how you got into it yeah i was uh, going to a small college for football the at the time our coach our head coach in the let the guys play rugby and other sports in the off season yeah um, that changed later years after I left. But so fortunately, while I was still there, uh, a lot of the guys on the football team, which was a good, really good team for division three. Um, so we had really good athletes, mm-hmm. um, played rugby as well. So I just went along to a practice after the football season. And, uh, you know, that's where I, I first got connected. I was 18 years old and as a freshman at Occidental college. Yeah. That's great. I've never, I mean, that's crazy to, to think about for myself, just, I mean, recently to, for a football program to allow their players to play rugby at the same time. That's seems like that'll never, ever happen again. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty, it was fairly rare, but I think the coach at the time saw the benefit yeah. of guys staying in shape and especially for a defensive player like myself to continue tackling. Right. And, uh, you know, for offensive players, they're, they're handling the ball too. So there, there was, I think he saw the benefits of, of uh, doing things where, you know, even at division three level, there's NCA restrictions on how much coaching time you can have in the off season. So right. um, I think it benefited both programs. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, what about rugby hooked you, David? I, and I like asking people this is like, when did you catch the bug? Was it at that first training? Was it when you played your first match? When, when did it kind of get a hold of you? And what about rugby uh, hooked you? I think for, for, it was um, another way to express the physicality that I enjoyed at football. Mm-hmm. So that, that was one part of it. But it was also uh, kind of playing – a sport where it was more like basketball because as a defensive player uh you don't really get to touch the ball unless you pick you know you pick it off or pick up a fumble so that was uh intriguing to me to be able to to play offense as well as defense and um and scoring tries you know i think for one of the fun things that that kids probably start playing rugby when they're running around and just having fun so yeah. As as an older kid, if you will, it was it was fun to be able to handle the ball and score, and when you typically don't get to do that as a as a player in football, when you're focused on one side of the ball. Certainly, uh, awesome. And I was wondering, David, if you could take us kind of explain your path to the national team. So here you are, you're 18 years old. Uh, you you just start playing rugby at Occidental. How can you kind of explain your path to the national team from that point on? Yeah, it was. So it was the older system of um, local area unions, territory unions, 
Mm-hmm. And uh, so when I was after my second year and starting to do pretty well, um, I was recognized by the local area union and Locke Vetter, who was down in San Diego um, and ended up coaching with the All-Americans that year. And um, he picked me to be on the, the local area team and um, which was the Griffins back uh-huh. then. Yeah. And that was Southern Cal. So the Southern Cal Griffins. And they were in the Western Union. So when she made the Southern Cal team, we played the uh, Northern Cal team, the Pelicans. Mm-hmm. So it was a two collegiate sides, all-star sides. And I think, I think it was a pretty good system because you got to see some of the best players locally and then they kind of matriculated up. So then from there you made the, we made the West um, all-star team and, and then they played in the the territorial tournament with them against the, I'm sorry, we were the Pacific coast. I mm-hmm. broke there. Oh, so yeah. we played against the West Midwest and East. And then from that tournament, the, the um, all American team was picked and that was my junior year. So I made it both years onto the all American team. Nice. And from there, I, I was more focused on football though, after I graduated, mm-hmm. Um, left rugby for a little bit. I, I ended up going overseas and playing football, hoping that it may spring in, in a German league and hoping that it may spring into something NFL-wise. And, and I, after my second year in Germany, I saw that it wasn't really going to happen that way. So I was considering just coming back and, and, and running my dad's, starting to get involved in my dad's office machines business and, and taking that over when he was ready to step away eventually. And mm-hmm. uh and then Bing Dawson, um, who was the on-back coach, and they had won a number of national championships at the time, um, called me and said, you know, he had, and, and the backstory is he tried to get me to play for on-back right after college, and I said, well, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to decline and kind of chase this football thing. Yeah. And um, and so he called. He ended up seeing me. I was goofing around in a summer tournament with our with the Occidental. Mm-hmm. where I went to school, they had an alumni team and I was actually playing fly half. Oh yeah. <laughs> and so I, you know, I would not I, want to tackle um, you at 10. Some, some who didn't know, you know, I ended up, my, my career was as a planker and, and sometimes <laughs> second row. So that's, that's kind of the, the ex- explanation of why it's yeah. strange. I was playing fly. Half. Yeah. And, uh, and he, and he saw me in this tournament and he said, I'm going to give you a call. And uh, Bing was a master recruiter. He was a traditional American sports recruiter where they, you know, at the time and, and, and still to this day, hammer the phone. You're like a sales, you know, like in a yeah. bullpen sales, a salesperson. Right. And um, the, the on back guys that you'll talk to, it's, it's legendary about how many times Bing and the way he would speak to you and, and everyone can kind of imitate it. But, the bottom line is he got the best athletes to come to San Diego. Yeah. And, um, so that was, he said, you know, we're, we, we're really good at getting guys on the national team. I thought, oh, I kind of light bulb came on and said, you know what? I don't think I'm ready to be done being an athlete. And, right. uh, I'm going to give this two years, my full go. That's my only focus outside of work is going to be rugby and see where it goes. Yes. Yeah. That's awesome. And, story. Uh, and so I, I, I ended up, I was living in Anaheim, and, um, which is about an hour and a half 
to, from San Diego there where they've trained and um but it was it was just a really great experience with playing with a bunch of guys and our starting 15 was mostly um either guys currently on the national team or guys that had been mm-hmm. so there was a there was a, a lot of experience there yeah and so after uh, being on back and just playing in a, in a tournament in Aspen I was picked to go on the um there were there were some injuries I believe and I was picked to go with the US 7s team to Taipei and that was my first experience outside of all Americans with the the US national team mm-hmm. so at the senior level that was my first experience and um Mike Saunders who was the coach at the time he and I still joke about this but there was a we did a photo after the last game of the tournament and everyone's it was kind of muddy and everyone's got dirt and not all of the <laughs> uniforms and lines like uh it's just pure like the shorts are white and the, <laughs> it's the, the jersey means crisp and because i didn't see any minutes and that was back in a time when you only had 10 players yeah not like the 12 you have now and so they played the whole tournament with nine um and it was i think it was the right just i wasn't ready really for yeah. international level um it was good for me to see what was required yeah. so that helped solidify my desire to to be fit and, and be as fit and strong as i can and as skillful as i can could and uh so that was um in in the autumn um and and then come um the summer i was picked up with the senior 15s team and i don't think there was a lot of expectations of me playing but we had some injuries again and robbie lumpkong went down in a game against uruguay and i came on and that was my first cap Mm -hmm. um but wasn't really me being in the team yet because i was still fairly inexperienced right so it was then a whole we, we went after that summer the u.s national team went to wales and i didn't play in any of the test matches um uh, that we had and um we we i was meant to play in a um a new year's day game where we were playing a, a wales 15 which is more like an 18 and uh the game was called off oh. so um but the but I, so i didn't play in the test so uh, but it was again another experience of understanding what it took to play, and and it was the, also the team understanding that you know, and and they did this with another number of players that were like me, that you know, like Dan Lyle was the same, where they took him around the world for a year before he played. So yeah. it was about getting the experience and understanding what the game required, and and, and developing a guy over time and believing in the crossover athlete, which coach Clark, um, did in spades. So the, um, so then I didn't really, so then fast forward to the next, uh, that was in the winter and, and, uh, it was a a little bit different because it was over December, not like the November internationals now. Mm -hmm. And then we, Wales came to the U S in the summer and, uh, was, I was in the squad and ended up getting my, um, first start against Wales, so yeah, that was um, you know a, a pretty special one, and and so that really ties into um, um, so the, the my first cap was in '96, the summer, and then a second 
one as a starter was in the summer of 97. Yeah. And that connection to Wales probably will tie into some of the other questions you have here. (laughs) Yeah, that is the perfect segue to my next question. But I just wanted to say that does sound incredibly beneficial to be able to travel and just get a front row seat, as like you were saying, as to what it takes and, you know, how to act on the road and how to prepare. That sounds incredibly beneficial. And even between that first cap that you mentioned and then that first start, I I would imagine that you were – I just can only imagine how how ready you felt to actually to play and start for the national team at that point. Well, you felt I felt ready in the sense I put a lot of work in, but yeah. at the same time, <laughs> that was my second cap. Yeah, and you're playing playing against guys <laughs> that were. So that was you know that the season before I went to Wales, which was that ninety six ninety seven was really that first full year of professional rugby, and I went over the second year. Yeah. Um, so you're playing against guys that you know you, you don't know what they're what fully professional at that point, and it, it um, come to find out it wasn't quite as um, professional as I thought it was. It was you know at some point it was I'm, I'm digressing a little bit, but it was yeah. it was professional in, in name. But for me, my 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 perspective was that wow. I'm, I'm really going to be playing against some guys that have a lot of experience in rugby. Yeah. Uh, and, and then they did, but at the same time, you know, we, as a, as an American athlete, we think we were capable of competing at, at that level too. Right. Yeah. And like you mentioned, that is kind of the, the perfect segue into, into the next question. So how did, how are you presented with the opportunity to play overseas? Um, and I would imagine it all, it all stems from, from this national team experience. Yeah. So, when I I didn't really know which teams I knew when I when I get my first start um, I knew if I wanted to keep my a lot of the guys were starting to play overseas so I, my thought was it wasn't anything about a career or anything it was just like if I'm going to keep my position mm-hmm. I need to go overseas and, and play against better competition mm-hmm. and so the the when we were in Wales that winter I, I had an understanding of the top the teams in the top league in Wales. And um, so that's where I was going to start. I didn't know all the teams in England that were, you know, the how they were bifurcated between what levels. I knew I wanted to play at the premiership level, the top level in, in whatever league I went to. Mm-hmm. And so um, I started just doing research on the internet. And <laughs> back at that time, so we're talking nine, the summer of 97, mm-hmm. The, the team the websites were pretty basic i yeah. mean like one one page basic <laughs> so but they had a contact information like they had contact information and um so I, I emailed the professional teams in wales at the time and um told them my goals were to play and um give them a little bit of background on myself and and Clonethley was the first team to get respond to me. Yeah, so had con- that was one of the few things they had on the website was contact information. I'm, I'm glad you the- said the club name because I was doing research all yesterday of how to say this word and I, I just can't do it. So yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you did it. Yeah. So the um, so they got back to me right away and said they're interested. I mean, they had the video from the summer of the the two um, test matches we played them in. So yeah. They had two- a video of me twice and so that was um you know the start of it and they we were talking and shortly within a week they offered me a contract 
Um, pretty basic contract, but yeah. it was foot in the door. So yeah, uh, I went over and 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 then I think quickly found out that while I may not have been as good of a rugby player as some of the guys, I was as fit and strong as anyone out there. And um, and and as, you know, kind of coming up in the varsity experience in high school and college uh, sports. I had a leg up on how to be a professional. That's interesting. Uh, and, 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 you know, even, and even through on back and, and the senior men's team, uh, I think I had a leg up through all those experiences on how to, to be a professional athlete where a lot of the, the guys I played with were, you know, amateur up until the year before where they were training on Tuesday and Thursday nights and working jobs. Mm-hmm. So, and, and they don't get me wrong. There were some real true professionals and how they approached the game in, in, in the fantasy team. It just, I had the advantage of having kind of been somewhat professional since I went into high school right. in, in the sense of being developed as an athlete in a varsity environment where at high school, you have a strength conditioning coach, you have a athletic trainer, you know, right. All, um, you have a head coach whose job it is to produce results. Uh, all those things are, you know, whereas, you know, some of my colleagues probably in, in, in the club system in the UK coming up, they maybe they had a dad coaching them or right. whatever, who might know rugby, but it just, they weren't, they weren't, uh, didn't have those advantages coming through a varsity setup. So athleticism and, and strength competition wise, I think I had a leg up on, a lot of my teammates, but I didn't, I didn't have the rugby mouse that they did. That's, that's super interesting that you say that David, because when we had Mark Bulk on the show last Friday, talking about the rugby town crossover Academy, which is something I'll get to a little bit later in the questions. But that's one of the things that he touched on was that the guys that they're recruiting might not be professional in the sense that they have not played professional sports, but they're coming up through these professional, you know, big D one college football programs. And that, and that gives them a leg up, like you were saying. So they know how to be a professional. They're just not a professional in the in the true blue Webster dictionary sense of the word, you know. So that's right. interesting that you say that. Yeah, and then the next question I wanted to ask you about your time overseas is, is if there was anything that you valued most about your time overseas. Well, there's a lot of things. I mean, it was a life-changing experience. I mean, just on the on balance, without rugby, going to another country and living for eight years mm-hmm. um, certainly changes. Gives you a different perspective on the world. You're not, you know, you're looking back over to the U.S. versus looking out. Um, and so I think it just that, that having a chance to live in another country again, I, and I lived in Germany for a couple of years as well with the football yeah. experience, but that I think that was just beneficial to see and live in, in another environment. And, and, and because you, you get to go, well, this is what I like about living in the UK. This is what I don't like. And it, and for me, it really made me appreciate um, being American and, and some of the things that we have at home. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and certainly, but there's also, again, things that are, that you, you respect from, the way the country you're living in and the way they go about it. And I think the other part was, is the people. So, um, just, um, you know, how fortunate it is to have spent eight years 
in a country where rugby is their main sport. Right. Um, and really, that's really two countries in the world is New Zealand and Wales. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, not to say that rugby is not big in England, but it's not the main sport. Yeah. <sighs> right. Right. Um, sure. and, and and so the 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 to see a country where the results of the national team on Saturday affected the whole mood of the country on Monday. <laughs> yeah. So that was a, a amazing experience to see. If Wales won, everyone goes into work with their tail up and <laughs> um, talking around the water cooler. Well, I don't. Know, they didn't probably have what too many around <laughs> making making tea maybe. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, there you go. About about how great the weekend was, or if the team if Wales lost, there was this dour kind of sentiment around the whole yeah. country um, going into work on Monday about how how the sky was falling. So. Yeah. The, the, the kind of mood of the country lived and died with how the national team. Um, so a pretty, pretty cool that um, you're able to live in a country where rugby is that important. And, and, you know, just as a kind of side note, I remember my, one of my first couple of weeks there, I was just going through the grocery store um, and this little old lady like said, are you, you know, I was like looking at eggs or something. She said, Oh, excuse me. Are you, he did Hodgson. I said, yeah. And then she proceeded to tell me how to run down on kickoff for oh. about five minutes. <laughs> you got to love and that. How I, was, was, how I wasn't doing it right. So, uh, and, I, and I wasn't offended at all. I was, yeah. I was impressed, actually. Like, geez, I, I can't believe, you know, you're just coming from your own experience where people didn't really know rugby to, to this little woman who was pretty, had a pretty decent expertise on how the game was played oh, yeah. and she wasn't afraid to tell you about it that's awesome <laughs> that's hilarious and, and so that that was the benefit and then just like you know being overseas in in a country where it is that important there's just the skill level is off the charts and so that really challenged me to become a better rugby player and in, in, in the day-to-day training environment that we had so right um i think the other side though is i kind of i think there was a mutual respect in the sense of the guys understood how much work I'd put into my strength and conditioning. Mm-hmm. And, um, I really pushed them at times on that side. So I think there was a, a give and take on, 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 you know, benefiting from having someone like myself that was, came from a different background For sure. and, and again, wasn't the best rugby player, but I think it still brought something to the team and, and they, some, the team certainly brought something to me. Yeah, that's that's an awesome answer. I think that's very interesting in a lot of aspects. So, uh, thank you for sharing that. And then, since we touched on it already, Dave, I gotta ask how hard it was to learn how to speak Welsh. <laughs> well, I know a few words in Welsh. Yeah. <laughs> but the funny, the story is. So, I when I first got there, and the team manager brought me into the changing room and meeting all the guys, I ser- and, and I have a pretty good ear for language, but. <laughs> that first interaction, I couldn't understand. I couldn't tell, um, whether some of the guys were speaking English or Welsh. Yeah. So there, the, some of them had such a thick accent and then Welsh, like when they, it's kind of worded that their wording goes backwards to what English is. And so instead of saying, for instance, and then, so then it comes out that way in English. So it's, 
when you hear it, it's sing-songy, which you're not used to, and then it's worded, the, the words are in different places. So instead of saying, I'm hungry, a simple phrase, they'd say, hungry I am. And so <laughs> <laughs> it kind of throws you off. You're trying to understand the, to hear the accent, first of all, and then it's, yeah, the then sentence the sentence is backwards. Around, so it, it kind of it really throws you for a loop. Yeah. And um, yeah. yeah, so but I picked it up pretty the the accent pretty quickly, but never. I kind of thought, well, you know, I, I'm enjoying my time here in Wales, but yeah. I don't know how much benefit it is going to be to learn Welsh when it's spoken only here in in, in Wales, and then also in Patagonia, and, <laughs> and that's the only places in the world where it's really right. spoken. So. I do, I do respect it, and I think it's it's pretty cool that it's had a, a resurgence in Wales. Uh-huh. Uh, for a long time, they were kind of oppressed and and, and made to speak English, yeah. and so the 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 Welsh language has really made a resurgence in the last twenty thirty years, and so I think for for them that's a, a, a source of pride. Yeah, it's a little bit of identity. I didn't know that. That's cool to hear, though. Yeah, it's like I was saying. I, I was trying to look up how to say the double L. Uh, it wasn't. It was nothing I could learn in, in one day on the internet. So I'm glad <laughs> I, you said it, not me. <laughs> the, the nearest way I can help you is kind of like putting your tongue in, between your teeth on one side, and it's like a, like a sh- yeah. ch almost. But okay. Snazzy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I know just from talking to Luke Gross when he mentioned it, I have tried to look it up before, and I'm like, I don't even know how to spell this word. So it kind of right. clicked yesterday where I where I, I put it all together. But uh, right. yeah, no, that's awesome. That's awesome story about uh, playing overseas, though. So uh, the next question I want to ask you, David, is uh, you earned quite, uh, quite a few accolades over your career playing rugby. Um, just to read a few, you got Rugby Player of the Decade by Rugby Magazine in 2009. You, you know, 54 caps, Scarlet's Player of the Year, captain 27 times, um, national championship at Ombach, everything like that is there any is there any accolades that that kind of mean more to you than some of the others did or they all kind of hold equal weight in your mind well i think you know it's a little bit cliche but some of the some of the team accomplishments with the the senior team with the u.s team and Mm -hmm. um with um with the scarlets certainly kind of those those moments and 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 sometimes not even big moments, just times in training when you're working hard together. Th- those were the things I really remember. I mean, it, I don't really think about personal accolades too much. I guess the one that meant the most, though, was um, in the 2001-2002 season, I was player of the year, but that was chosen by the club. Yeah. But they also had an award called Player's Player, and that's chosen by your teammates. Mm-hmm. So that was chosen by all the guys in the squad, you know, and um, some pretty impressive rugby players to, yeah. to you know, that I played with. Um, <clears throat> and so, you know, like Stephen Jones and Squat Cornell and a number of other Welsh internationals. And for those guys to choose you as players player, was, it meant a lot, I guess. Yeah. And I can imagine just kind of after what you were saying earlier in our conversation, just about you coming in and, and not knowing, you know, as much about rugby as some of these guys, but having to work, you know, a little bit harder to kind of earn everyone's respect. I can imagine that that really does uh, mean a lot to you. Yeah. So, uh, the next question I had, David, is just how you got into coaching. <laughs> so 
it, it all ties back into whales too. Um, I mentioned I was really into my, my strength and conditioning. I wasn't a strength and conditioning coach by any means, but, um, you know, our, um, right about that time, Tom Billups, who I played with on the U S team and, you know, he had finished after the 99 world cup, um, and went back and, and went into coaching, at Cal and then was an assistant with the men's national team. And, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, he, he was a certified strength and conditioning coach. And, um, so I learned a lot from him and was, al- was asked, always asking questions about my own training and things so much so that, um, you know, they, there was a little bit of economy of scale back in those early days of professionalism. We didn't really have a true strength conditioning coach. So I, my last couple of years there, um, they did we did eventually have one my my last year i believe but the the two years prior to that um i was the strength and conditioning coach for the team nice so sorry the strength coach and wayne proctor who i played with did the conditioning part yeah so i did all the strength programming for the guys um and uh you know i i probably wasn't the best strength coach but at the time i was i think i did a decent job um and getting the guys to buy in and and take their uh, strength part component of their conditioning very seriously and you know um and and they had seen seen kind of my diligence in that area so yeah um that that was my initial foray so i was on the coaching staff if you will at that point and in the coaching meetings um with so even though we may have talked been talking it was a good experience to see how we game planned and and how our strategy worked over the whole two seasons yeah. <laughs> being in that coaching room as so i was a player and a coach at that point in my last couple of years yeah with the team and that was so that was my start and then it, t- it transferred in so when i finished um i had the opportunity to come back to the U.S. and moved to Boulder and worked for USA Rugby and, and youth development. But, but you know, as as um, at the time and and a lot of times within American rugby, it's pretty hard to wear just one hat to have a full time job. So sure. I was also the assistant national team coach um, when I came back under Tom Billups. Oh, nice. Yeah, that does sound uh, like you're saying pretty beneficial to to get in, get your foot in the door, and see see how that all works before moving back home. So. Um, and then David, one of the other questions I had for you is kind of in that same light. So feel free if, if, if you feel like this is too similar to the, to the last question I asked, but do you have a favorite rugby memory? And again, I like asking people this because it's always so different. I know some of the Raptors I had on the show when, when the Raptors were still playing was some of their favorite rugby memories were a high school match or, you know, some of their favorite memories were some rinky dink sevens tournament like in the middle of the summer like that's that's the stuff that sticks out to them and i know with you having played all so much rugby all over the world if you just had a couple favorite memories that come to your mind yeah that's a i think there's there's a couple of easy ones Uh the the the, i mean i already mentioned two of them was my first cap in canada we were up in canada and we were playing uruguay Uh um in the Pan Am tournaments there, Can Am tournament. And um, um, so that was my first cap. And so the, your first cap is always a, a memorable experience. And, and some, cause it's something you, you're trying to 
you're working towards and, and then the first start against Wales, which um, your first start is, is special, but in the sense of against a team that I ended up, when I, you know, end up playing um, in Wales for eight years. Mm-hmm. So that was just a, a, a really good memory. And, and, um, you know, and then I, 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 play, I played alongside with some of those guys. So there were some Scarlets in that team. And, mm-hmm. um, and then, but it also played against the guys, you know, on a weekly basis that were in that team. Yeah. Uh, when I got my first start. So that was pretty special, I guess. Yeah. Um, and I guess I think thinking back, the, it wasn't, it ended in terms of the result, not, not going our way. Um, but we played, when Plathley played Leicester, we were in the, in the semifinal. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was up in Leicester <clears throat> and, um, you know, we, we ended up losing the match, but it was highly contested right to the end and we were ahead. Um, and Tim Stimson, um, who was, he played for England as well and, um, had a massive leg and we had a scrum penalty on the opposite side of the 10 meter. So on the, yeah. um, so essentially right on the touch, you know, five meters in on the touchline. Mm-hmm. So he's 60 meters out essentially, but more because it's at the angle. Right. And he slotted it. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, Just hit a bomb. we tried to, we had a little bit of time to come back and we didn't. And, um, you know, Lester ended up winning the Huntington cup that year. Yeah. So, um, that was a little bit bittersweet, but it was an awesome, just the, the, the atmosphere, the environment, um, a top level match and, you know, it, that that was just the the experience there was, and that that game was shown back home. Yeah, uh, a lot of people watched it. Um, it was uh, just that that was the kind of most intense match I think I ever played. Or, awesome, <laughs> that's an awesome story. Thank you. That's why I like asking those because it was always is always super different. <laughs> You get to hear those fun stories like that. So thanks for sharing that with us. And then uh, last question I wanted to ask you, Dave, before I let you go is um, I'm sure you've had a chance to talk to Luke Gross about kind of what, what's going on at Glendale with the with the starting of this Rugby Town Crossover Academy. And I just kind of wanted to get your, your thoughts overall on it, being a crossover athlete yourself. What what do you think about this, uh, this program that they're trying to start up and, and how could it be beneficial for uh, USA Rugby moving forward? Uh, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot to this. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I, I want to really commend the the start of it, mm-hmm. and um, but I, I think the the but is that we need just more 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 of it, right? Mm-hmm. It, it can't, and I think it'll be beneficial, and there'll be a lot of if, if the program continues, there'll be a number of players that come out that end up representing the U.S. But the challenge is that we need more of it, we right? Need more people to buy into this and um that it, it's the easy fix is to go get a guy from overseas to p- come here and play mm-hmm. um and, you know and but that doesn't really help in terms of the long-term development and and, and i think so the the people that have the vision to say well we're gonna um put that aside and really develop american athletes and and i think you know, you, you need to have a dual approach because there's still, there'll be some, there's a number of guys and it, it, it's different in the U S team now. Right. So there's, yeah. 
mostly guys that are um, born here in the U.S. that are they're not um, qualified because we have some guys that are qualified through their parents um, mm-hmm. on the U.S. team. But the guys that were born here on the U.S. team, they they oftentimes have played high school rugby. So yeah. there's some really good athletes now that have played high school rugby. So you, I think you still need that dual approach. But there's also a lot of diamonds in the rough um, and, you know, that kind of taking it back to my last year with the team, two years with the team and, and thinking about some of the athletes, you know, Luke was a division one basketball player. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that, um, and then we had um, Dan Dorsey and Jacob Wasdorf as, as, Tighthead props who were defensive linemen, um, Dorsey for San Diego State and uh, Waz who was for Cal mm-hmm. and one of the best players in the Pac-12. So that, that that was a pretty athletic. Just with those two guys, and you had Mike McDonald on the other side. Those guys were you know kind of all crossover guys, but yeah. that was a, a massive front row and and and, and athletic and, and typically like there's some other characteristics of those guys that carry over. So um, in terms of the mentality, like defensive linemen are usually really mean, Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. They're, they're, especially the interior guys, they're getting double teamed. Yeah, they have and no that's kind of what happens to you as a tight head prop. So it's a pretty good position to carry over. And, 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 you know, Dorsey and Waz both, both had, um, they were, they were athletic as big men. Mm-hmm. And, and, yeah. And they could bring a little bit of the nasty too. So um, maybe a lot of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's just, you know, and um, I, I playing in in a back row where with Dan Lyle Court Schubert in that last World Cup, um, you know, we were all kind of crossover guys. I think Court had some more traditional rugby experience, but, um, you know, it was just that. And, and that was kind of the inheritance of, Jack Clark's goal of, of so we're kind of going back to the future here when we're talking about this, right? Yeah, because um, Coach Clark eminently believed in the American athlete, and, um, and I think that's you have to have a lot. You can't just it's not a quick fix. Yeah, for sure. In that regard, because the our guys take more work, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's true. But the but the athleticism, if if honed properly, can you can produce a better player than in the end? For sure. Because they once they become they get the rugby understanding and experience with the, with their athleticism and and kind of their their kind of as we talked about before the professional approach to sports that they've been ingrained in their whole life. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of advantage to working with crossover athletes yeah um, and there's you know like there's if you look at our sevens team with carlin isles and perry baker yeah exactly like, <laughs> the, those two guys are like those guys are all over the place yep so so um and they just kind of happened we, we there was both of them came to rugby in different ways but um we could probably do a better job of going and seeking those guys. Right. Um, but it, it takes a long-term strategy and the vision to For understand sure. the benefit. And in, in a world where results matter now, that's the challenge. And so you have to have leadership that believes in it. 
and wants to see it through the long term. Yep. I think I agree with you 100%. Um, like you said, it's going to take more than just this one camp in November, but um, just talking, from Mark, uh, talking to Mark Bullock, listening to him on Friday, he really is excited about it, and I'm excited to see what uh, this, this group of guys up in the Glendale administration can do with it. So, um, David, that's all the questions I had for you. I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much for your time. All right, Colton. Anytime, and let me know if you need anything else. Thanks. All right, I hope everyone enjoyed that conversation with USA Rugby Hall of Famer David Hodges. Really enjoyed talking to David. I hope everyone liked that conversation as much as I did. Again, like I say every week, thank you to David. The guests make the show. I appreciate him taking the time out of his day to come chat with me, especially because we ran into uh, several. We had ourselves a fair share of technical difficulties during that interview, so I appreciate him being a good sport and sticking with me and uh, working through these technical issues, and I, I really enjoyed the conversation. So, again, thank you to David. hope everyone liked that. And with that, we'll go ahead and jump into the required reading portion of the show. I almost gave everyone the week off from required reading, but I dig, dug deep enough, and I, I found some interesting things that I think everyone should check out. And so it's something that I've been seeing floating around the Internet these last few weeks, um, you know, I've seen the World 10 series here on Twitter. I've seen the Ohio Aviators getting the band back together over here on Twitter. Um, and I think it's something that people would be interested in. So the article is entitled American Team Set for World 10 Series in Bermuda, written by Alex Goff of Goff Rugby Report. Alex Goff's been, um, you know, doing this, doing this rugby journalism thing here in America for a long time. Uh, he's one of the best in the business. So I would encourage everyone to go check this out if they're interested in learning more about it. But as is always, give you a quick synopsis of, of kind of what's going on. So the Ohio Aviators, for people that are unfamiliar, uh, they were a team that competed in the professional rugby organization back in 2016, I believe that year was. They ended up playing the Denver Stampede in the final that year. They ended up beating the Denver Stampede in the final. But because of the way that competition was set up, I think Denver Stampede ended up winning that competition on points. But um, I know from talking to Taylor Howden, who was, uh, he was my sevens coach, as I've talked about on this show, he was a guy that played for Ohio Aviators, went on to play for NOLA, and now he's playing for Houston. He's actually the head coach of this Ohio Aviators team that's going to play uh, in this Bermuda 10 series. Uh, I know talking to Taylor, he's talked about how that's the most fun he's ever had playing rugby. That was just such a great team. Um, all those guys loved each other, played hard for each other. Um, so it's kind of cool that they're getting this back together. That's uh, Paul Holmes. He's been doing this. Um, so I'll tell you a little bit about this tournament, but long story short, that's the team, Ohio Aviators, uh, will be playing in this World 10 series. So 10s rugby, uh, hybrid between 7s and 15s, um, should be pretty cool to watch. So there's no, there's not going to be any spectators at this tournament. It sounds like the players are getting tested before they go, so you'll need a positive test to play. It sounds like the COVID cases in Bermuda are in the single digits, so it sounds like they should be pretty safe. Um, this, this tournament will be broadcast somewhere. I'll keep my eye on on how to watch that. So it's a three weekends long. It's kicking off here, I believe, in two weekends. I'll go ahead and read you the squad. So the coaching staff, Taylor Howden, as I just mentioned, uh, since he's been in MLR, played for NOLA, played for Houston, was an original Glendale Raptor. I mean, original back in 2010, 2011. Uh, Kane Thompson as the assistant coach. He's a guy who's been playing for NOLA these last two, two years. Extremely experienced Samoan and international. Got Zach Streifler. He's a manager. Uh, played for NOLA. I believe the first two years of MLR. Played with New England last year. We've got Richard Quincy on medical. Tom Rooney as the director. Those were original Ohio Aviator members. 
Uh, for the forwards, we've got John Spencer, a prop from NOLA. Chris Bauman, prop, who's not on an MLR team, I believe, right now, but he is a capped eagle. Steamboat guy. Uh, Spencer Kruger, prop from Ohio State, got drafted by New England in this most recent MLR draft. Dylan Fawcett, former Raptor, hooker from Rooney. Um, Eric Howard, hooker from NOLA. Riker Haddings, lock, loosehead at, from Seattle, who's a monster. Kyle Bailey, lock, loosehead from uh, NOLA, who's another monster, Canadian international. Brad Tucker, 2019 uh, MLR Player of the Year. Lock Lucy from Seattle, so obviously very stacked forward pack. And then at the backs, you got J.P. Smith, scrum half Seattle. Christian Rodriguez, scrum half from Dallas. Ben Sima, fly half fullback from Seattle. Will McGee, former Raptor, fly half fullback from Gilgronis. Shalom Suniula, center from Seattle, former Eagle. Tion Lutz, center from Houston. Peter Tiberio, he's a speed demon, center wing from Seattle. Uh, J.P. Eloff, fly half wing from NOLA. He's an original Ohio aviator. Sean Riley, wing from NOLA. And then Bryce Campbell, uh, former Raptor, USA Eagle, and he's been playing overseas. He's a center. He's been, I think, signed to Austin now. So, obviously, very stacked team. Could be, be something that, you know, is very fun to watch. Again, not getting much American rugby, but it sounds like this tournament will be broadcast. So I would encourage everyone to go check out more information about this tournament in that uh, article entitled American Team Set for World 10 Series in Bermuda by Alex Goff on Goff Rugby Report. As always, I will link that article into this article that houses this podcast. So I'm sure you check that out. So with that, we'll go ahead and jump into the loop. That's how we end the show. Um, excited about some podcast episodes we have coming out. Believe we've got some uh, more women from the for some women from the U.S. Uh, women's national team. You know, we had Rob Kane on two weeks ago. Got some women to come on talk about what the camp's been like for them. That should be interesting to hear about. Um, very good interview with Nate Kreckman from Altitude Sports Radio that I'm excited for people to hear. He's a PA guy here at Infinity Park. Uh, recorded that this week, so I'm looking forward to putting that out again as well. Um, I'll stay tuned. Going to have a ton of information on, on some of the stuff that's going on for the Rugby Town Crossover Academy here in just over a month. We'll have their first camp, so uh, we'll be working hard to put out some stuff on that. Still working on that article. Haven't had much time to write, but I'm excited everyone for to check that out see some of this content we've got coming out. So best way to stay uh, tuned with us, follow us on Twitter at the NVR underscore rugby at Colin Strickler. Um, that's my show. That's all I got for you guys this week. Um, hope everyone enjoyed it. Thank you to everyone for listening. Thank you again to uh, David Hodges for taking the time to come chat with me, uh, fighting through some of those technical issues. Um, I hope you all had a great week. I hope you all have a great weekend, and I'll catch you all back here next week.